this is LJ's Open Forum, and I'm your host, Michelle Johnson, and I'm coming to you this evening to publish the actual Season 1, Episode 1 of LJ's Open Forum podcast. Last week was a little off the cuff, from the heart, um, non-scripted in reference to um, what I call Season 1, Episode 1A, um, in which I discussed the George Floyd's murder, rather his lynching and my seven-day take on what occurred after that in this nation um, and in the world. So I got a great amount of um, conversation drummed from that, and a lot of people um, checked it out on Spotify. They checked it out on Instagram, Facebook, under LG's Open Forum. I got a lot of motivation, a lot of great input, a lot of great suggestions, so I wanted to say thank you. Um, for this. Um, This podcast was started because I, um, one night I was dreaming and I saw my mother and my grandmother staring at me. In this dream, they didn't say anything. Um, I think later on, my cousin came to me and um, she didn't say anything, but they were just smiling. So I kind of thought about that and said that I need to take all that history that was told to me by my grandmother and um, ensure that it's out there for others to hear as well as the youth in my family so that it doesn't die um, when I'm no longer here, that we all know about our family history. And another thing is how it really affects you um, in the future. What occurred in African-American families in the past um, really drums up what's going on now in the future with a lot of the families that um, that suffered and endured during that time. So just to look at it from that perspective, I um, decided that, hey, I'm gonna procrastinate for, for months and I do it. Um, and then one day I got up and my ritual is, I have a morning ritual that I will go to, to the shower, the bathroom, to brush the teeth. It's like I'm in such a rush, in such a hurry to get everything done and um, leave for work. Um, that day. So one morning, that ritual was occurring as I stood in front of a mirror in in my bathroom and saw my reflection. Now in the reflection in the mirror, I saw my grandmother, mother, and my sister in front of me. Now it wasn't them there, actually, so to get that straight, but I could see a likeness of them and me, because we all kind of look alike. As I stood there, my morning ritual kind of ended and I just slowed down and I almost slowed down to a stop um, because I'm always rushing in the morning and I think it's almost like a competition with me to beat the numbers, to be able to be done and out the door to get to work when I'm ready to get to work. So I stood there for, it had to be at least probably five minutes and I thought for a moment and although I have a husband, a son, and um, now a grandchild. At that moment, I understood that in actuality, I was lonely. And the reason why I say I was lonely is because I missed them. Um, I missed them so bad that I stood there in that mirror and probably cried for at least a good 10 minutes. And what I missed was basically the time I had with them because now I know I'm 55 years old and that that was a short time that I had with my um, grandmother, my sister, and my mother, and even so my father. So my grandmother died from dementia. Um, And then my mother 
Prior to that, my sister passed away from sarcoidosis, and then my mother died of dementia. Now, I have this fear today. I've spoken in front of crowds, um, in, in front of training sessions at my job, and um, actually discussed um, the role dementia plays in my life, because my grandmother had it, and then my mom had it, and even a couple of my mom's siblings had it when they passed away. So your natural thought process is that you're going to get it. But what I do is I push it back, press it back, and I put one foot in front of the other, and I keep it moving day to day. But just to tell you, you know, every time you lose something or you forget something or you're moving too fast, that props in my mind that I'm going to get it and I'm going to not know anyone, and I am going to pass away from this horrific disease. But back to the story is that when I thought about it, how much I missed them and how much how short of time we had together. Uh, my mother died at 80. My sister died around 50 something years old. I'm not, I can't even remember what, how old she was when she passed away because I was, I am the youngest of the family and they were so much older than me. I think my sister probably was six, 15 or 16 when I was born. So just to think she was in her uh, mid 50s when she passed away from sarcoidosis. Um, she had been retired, she had retired from her job um, and was home getting her social security for disability and her pension check and in that time is when you retire you should be able to travel you should be able to enjoy yourself but she was sick with sarcoidosis and eventually passed away from organ failure from it so my fear today is that um i will die from dementia and like i said i can't stand still i can't constantly think about it but man if i forget something it will freak me out and um think that hey this is the beginning of my decline at 55 so my memories are long what I mean by that is I sat literally at the foot or next to my grandmother as she discussed her stories of her childhood her life now when my grandmother passed away she was about 90 so I had lived with her and my, my parents because you know back in the day grandma moved in with mom and dad and we all lived together and we all had a great time. So it was a blessing to be able to sit at her foot and to learn about the history of our family and to be able to bring that forward to today. I think that there's not a lot of us left that could tell the story. Um, the young people today in our family don't really know the history. They just know current me or my cousin or my you know, brother, they know our stories, but they, but they don't know our, their grandparents' story, um, their uncles, their great aunts. They don't know the endurances, the struggles that the African American family went through during that time. Man, it was, you know, it was horrific to think how hard, you know, you had Jim Crow laws that you couldn't even, you know, go to school or you, you had to always sit at the back of the bus. You always had to be separate. I mean, there's some that called the black code. Um, we had to have a, um, a book just to travel through the South to make it. So those are just small, the small amount of things that we had to do. You know, you couldn't be out at night. You couldn't walk down the street. You couldn't, I even read that if you thought, you know, if they thought you wasn't handling your money right or you weren't doing something correctly, they could assume it, not, it might not be true, and actually put you in jail for it. So those are some of the things that they had to endure the back of the bus. They had to endure being called nigger at all times. 
they had to always, you know, be docile in front of a white person, hope they like you so that they could leave you alone and not abuse you, not attack you, not mess with you. Um, so there wasn't a lot after slavery that we could do. Um, you know, we fought in the American Revolution. And I want to correct something. Um, in the George Floyd episode 1A, I, t I talked about the Civil War and then used information about the American Revolution and that was incorrect. The American Revolution, um, African Americans, Blacks, Colors, you know, all the names they had actually was in the Civil War and actually fought in the Civil War. And these guys fought as slaves. Their slave masters sent them to the war to fight for them. You know, that's the crazy part. I'm going to send you so you can die. I live so... I'm cool, I'll send you. Now, George Washington really did not want them to come and fight for the colonies during that time. Uh, but then you had the British who were intervening and, and, and finagling and were like, hey, if you come fight with us, we will give you your freedom now. You know, they were bringing us over on the slave ships too, so how far could you trust them during that time? Um, but, we have fought in every war. I mean, they fought in that war and were great. And then they came back, guess what, as slaves. You know, you have the Civil War in the middle, you know, which was the war between the states that we fought and we fought hard and we fought admirably. And they still found a way to bring us back as slaves. And then when we release, you get the crop up of the Black Codes and the Jim Crow laws and then the KKK. And it was every, you know, perceived as some white men goal to keep us down. We didn't deserve to have an education. We didn't deserve to go to school. We didn't deserve to have a job. We didn't deserve to um, own property. We didn't deserve to walk down the street with our heads held high. We didn't deserve to work and have our businesses and stores and things of that nature. Their agenda was to keep us down. Um, this is in the 1800s and into the 1900s. So when my grandmother was born, Rosa um, was born Rosa Gant. Now, let me give you original name. Her birth name was Rona Jerona Camilla Rucker. And she was born in Bowman, Georgia in 1910. Actually, March the 23rd, 1910. And, you know, when she was born in the 1900s, it was a turbulent time um, for African-Americans. You know, we at the time were in the South sharecroppers. And that was a dirty deed, meaning you sharecrop, you split the crops with the owner of the land and you know if you had the wrong owner he wasn't going to pay you he had the right owner and they may pay you you know they, they may slip you some money or you know out of the crop sales a lot of times that just didn't happen so black man was always struggling because they wouldn't let us own land during the civil war you know there were black people that excelled and that you know got a little wealth based off the backs of other um, African Americans that during that time and they did not want to let them be on equal terms. So they found a way, even though you had money, to try to keep you down. So again, she was born in 1910 um, in Bowman, Georgia. And when I researched Bowman, Georgia, um, I knew that it wasn't far from a town called Ruckersville. Since her name was Rucker, my assumption would be that at some point, you know, they took that slave owner's name or they worked that slave owner's plantation, our ancestors. Um, I met a gentleman 
probably 10 years ago at church who we were talking about that and he said that he was from that area and Bowman, Georgia is actually a town and it is full of ruckers. So my grandmother told me that when she was very young, they left Bowman, Georgia and came farther north up to um, South Carolina and then North Carolina. And so during that time, you know, there was so much that happened to try to even put it into script it's crazy because um, when they came up north um, it was my grandfather which his name was Cullen Rucker my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother's name was Rossi Rucker um, her maiden name was Lofton and she was from my grandmother's eyes um, just a wonderful person and the love of her life but my grandfather was an abusive and they felt evil and mean and he beat them constantly um, he bullied them constantly and it was my grandmother great-grandmother who was the median in between that um, well what you know is during that time we didn't have a lot of doctors care so she was sick and at that point she passed away and when she passed away um, you know it was a time where you had my grandmother and you had seven siblings. And out of them seven siblings, we had Napoleon Rucker, um, which is my great uncle, has long since been deceased. And then you had, of course, Roberta Rucker, which was another great aunt. And you had my grandmother, which was Rona, Jerona Rucker. And then you had um, Lucille, my aunt Lucille, great aunt, I loved her. I did can say I got a chance to meet and be around these great aunts and uncles for a time, but a short period of time, because I was the last child born in my lineage, which was my mother. Um, and then you had Hazel Rucker, BJ Rucker, and then Hazel Rucker. And BJ died um, as a young child. So there were seven siblings in there and a sharecropper trying to form and, a, and a, a, a wife that just recently passed away. And what happened, this dude married, gets married. And when he gets married, guess what? You know the story, this evil stepmother. My grandmother, her siblings could not stand this woman. Cause you know, she comes into the relationship with her own kids and they are very important to her. So she cares nothing about them. In the midst of it, you have the light and dark schism going on. You know, my grandmother was dark like my um, grandfather, Cullen. Um, the three, the two of her sisters were light-skinned. One was medium brown, the other one was brown. And then her two brothers were brown-skinned, but she said she always felt like the black sheep and they had no issues calling her darky black. And it was just, you know, terrible for her and she did not like it. So there was a lot of strife, a lot of fights in reference to complexion. And that's something when I asked the question on my, um, Instagram page. I always talk about try to throw a question out there and that's why I said how has um, the history of the African-American family affected us? That's one of the most negative things that has affected us. Um, we are so worried about the light versus the dark. We're still doing that today. It's 2020 and we were doing it then in slavery. But you know they pitted us, the, the, the white slave owners pitted us against each other by teaching us that, by saying, you, I'm gonna put the dark against the light, the old against the young, the house nigger against the field nigger, and I'm gonna just let it go for centuries. It's like a generational curse that we never attempted to break. And even today, 
we still have it in different areas, moving constantly through our lives into moving into everything that we do. Everything that we do, if the person's lighter, they're better. If they're darker, they're meaner, or they're the angry black woman. All of these things we perpetuate ourselves and then they use against us. But they were using it against us really 400 years ago and we still fell for the okie doke and we're still worried about it today and we're still using it against each other today. You know, they thought of the crab in the bar barrel syndrome and we fell for it and we went for it. Now, during that time in the 1900s, we did have, you know, successful black people. During that time, we'll get into that in later episodes, but, you know, when you're that black person living in that time, you had a short, a short leash. You had a leash around your neck and it was short and it was hard to move through it and, and how to get around it and things to do to be able to survive because how did they survive? Now, this, let's get back to the evil stepmother and her children. Everything she said was right and everything my grandmother and her siblings did was wrong and it brought a lot of strife in the household. Um, my grandmother told me the story of when, when BJ got sick and it wasn't that she got sick. It was that, you know, her and um, my other Aunt Hazel were out, you know, at the well getting water from the well. And BJ was worrying Aunt, um, Aunt Hazel so much about she wanted to pull the bucket up from the well that I guess Aunt Hazel got frustrated. And, you know, as kids, she'd be like, just go ahead and do it. You're getting on my nerves. And when she did, you know, the pulley hit her in the jaw, jaw and it broke her jaw. Now, this is just going to tell you how bad it was and how afraid and fearful that they were of this man that they didn't say anything she had a broken jaw and Aunt Hazel wouldn't say anything and she she couldn't talk barely so she didn't say anything and nobody could see or could see she just became sick and it was really blood poisoning and she died and because when great-grandma Rossi died and she told Aunt Roberta, that she's charging her to be there to, to raise up the little ones. Great-grandfather blamed her and really beat her really bad. But Aunt Hazel never told the story. I think it was years later that she told it to my grandmother and said, this is what happened. But I don't know if all the rest of them knew or not. But that's just a part of their life, that they were so fearful of this man and afraid that they, it was like they let BJ died in order, in order not to tell this man the truth. Initially, maybe she still would have died. Maybe she wouldn't have if they would have gotten to her that day and looked at it and saw that she had a broken jaw. But I mean, it brings tears to your eyes just to think, wow, you know, I'm so afraid of this dude that he's going to beat the heck out of me or, or throw me somewhere that I'm not going to say anything. And at that time, let's put it into context. The other six five siblings didn't know this including my grandmother no one knew what happened and she passed away and they lost her too because of fear to um not tell someone now even as far as my um uncle napoleon uncle jim we called him he left um he was so over this man he was so over him could you imagine okay you you can imagine that he was so over this man that he walked from North Carolina past the Mixon-Dixon line into 
you know, you're starting to go into the northern states like Virginia, and then you're up in Maryland, and then you're in Delaware, and then you're in Philadelphia. He walked. He had to stop. He had to get help, you know. But God took him that far without any hurt, harm, or danger. He made it from, as a young man, from North Carolina to Philadelphia by walking. No trains, no buses, walking. That tells you how abuse can drive you from another person. Now, I'm going to say this. Was he abusive? No. Wonderful, loving man. I can remember he just he loved to tell jokes. He loved to talk. He enjoyed. He loved his family. He was caring. He was gentle. But then we go back to Cullen Rucker, his father. What did he endure? Because he was born in slavery. He was born enslaved. And my grandmother said the only story he ever told was that he was little and he could remember eating out of a trough. So he was born into slavery. How did that affect him? What was his family like? His family life like? What was his history? What made him the, the mean, hateful, abusive person that he became? So we have to look at his story. I don't look at his story as a story of hate. I look at his story as what did he endure to turn him into what he became in his, his older years, raising a family, not having anything that you really wanted. What was his dreams like? You know, what was his desires? So, again, my uncle Napoleon was the total opposite of this, of him. And living in Philadelphia as a child, I can say that because he was around us. We, as a family, always got together and he was always there, smiling, joking, enjoying, eating soul food and having a good time. Never said a mean word to people, you know. Never was like, when you walk in, you know how some people are unapproachable. He was always approachable. So I wonder the difference, you know, was that in our grandfather, great-grandfather Cullen? Or was it beat out of him as a child? Was he abused as a child, as a slave? And once they were released and once the sla slavery ended, what was it like for him with his family? My grandmother never talked much about his side of the family, Cullen Rucker. She always talked about Rossi Ruckers, which is her mother's um, side of the family. And she loved them. She only had great things to say about her grandfather, which, she's, which his last name was Lofton. And she said he was dark-skinned and he had long um, hair in a braid. And she said he was Blackfoot Indian, Blackfeet Indian. And I said, wow, I didn't know the Blackfeet came through North Carolina, but when I did look it up, Yes, they did in Virginia and North Carolina, and it was like a, a Suhan tribe, and they were Blackfeet Indians. So that side was there, along with the Cherokee, the Lumpies, and different um, Indian tribes um, or sects. So they were um, wonderful people. Her grandmother was wonderful. She loved to visit them. I don't think she really visited her other side, on Cullen's side, or if they did, they didn't like them. I think I remember hearing that they did not really like um, that side of the family. So when you look at that, you have to look at timelines, um, which can be skewed because when they're telling us as a child, you don't really know um, how the timelines come together and how they add. So I'm doing this really from the best of my knowledge. Like I said, I've forgotten more 
than I um, probably remember, but by writing it down, a lot of this has come back to me. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of clear, and it comes back to me in this way, I'm 55 now, and when you are older and you hear the story, you can kind of see in the middle of the story what happened and, and, and the bad things that happened and the good. But my grandmother um, never really talked about the childhood as um, good. She would say the good part was um, her grandmother, her mother, um, I think her siblings, even though they fought and they talk about color, and they call her darky and, you know, black and all these different things, I think she still um, had that part. But there was always the parts that were negative that she had to endure. And it drove her to some things that, you know, you look at it after um, my Uncle Jim left and came up north. She lied um, and said her, you know, she met this guy named um, O.B. And if she wanted to get married to get out of that household. She did not want to stay in that household with that woman anymore. That was like it, done, kapoo. She was like, I'm out. And she lied and said she was 13, but she was 12, and she got married to OB. Um, when she married OB, that story timeline goes small because the story she told was she married him. She had my Uncle Arthur, she had Uncle Henry, Uncle George C, she had my mother, Mary Elizabeth, and then she had my um, Uncle Charles um, James, who was the youngest. And at that time, my um, I think my grandfather was just running around and sleeping with women everywhere and trying to bring a little bit of change into the house. Because again, go back, you know, what was he really going to do with no education? Neither one of them had education. You know, my grandmother's um, father took them out of school in the third grade so that they could work on the sharecropping. So, and I remember my mother, my grandmother telling me that, you know, she cried. They would be on the roof top and see the other kids going to school and they were unable to and she cried um, because they wanted to go to school. And so they were out in the third grade. I don't know what um, my grandfather's um, school schooling was. I just know that her stories kind of stopped. She didn't have a, ne a positive story to say about him. It was a negative. Um, he was running around so much with all these women. He came home and began to get sick. Um, when he began to get sick, you know, he knew he was dying. She knew he was dying. And he was saying, you know, just bury me in a pine box, throw me in the backyard and bury me there. And he passed away. And of course she could not do that. And she had to get the money up to be able to bury him. But she worked hard to pay them back. At that time, she had to pay for that funeral of the man who in essence abused her. She left one abuser for another abuser. Now, maybe physically he didn't abuse her, but mental, mentally when a man is running around on you, it messes with your mind. It turns you, some people, a little different way um, than the other. And she had five kids, no money. So what, what the only thing an um, African-American woman could do in the past um, that didn't have any education, and didn't see another way out. They used, they went to work. They went to work as a maid. And those are the things that she did in North Carolina. She worked as a maid for literally years until she stopped in the mid 60s. I think I, I know I was born in 65. And I think she stopped maybe then or maybe after then she retired from it. So she worked from the 20s, late 20s up into the 60s um, being a maid for white people. And that's how she was able to pay her bills. That's how she was able to attempt to support her family. 
um, when you are a single parent during that time and a woman and black, there wasn't much you could do. A woman, period, would lose a husband and have those kids. It was a lot of work to survive during that time. Remember, she's during the she, the timeline of it, you know, she's right there in the roaring 20s. The stock market crashes, it drives the nation into the Great Depression. Um, we have been through a war. Her, her brother, John, was in World War I. So when we talk about the American Revolution, we fought in the Civil War. Her brother fought in World War I. Um, we even had some wars in between that. You know, when you talk about Buffalo Soldiers, you talk about all those things, well, we was already, always there in the midst, but never getting our due, um, never getting our roses. So when you look at the timeline, we're in a Great Depression, and she's trying to work to support her family and not really getting anything because everyone's depressed at that time. No one has any money. Like the white people, the black people, whoever you were in this country, you were broke and you were starving. And you, a lot of us were dying of starvation. And so when you look at that, how did she make it through? Well, she worked as a maid. Now that didn't mean my um, mother and my uncles didn't suffer, didn't suffer through. You know, my mother said we were hungry. We didn't have food to eat. Sometimes when grandma was working, we go out and we had to go out and, and do little things in the yard for people. And they would feed us like a cookie or they would give us a dime or a penny or something. They'd give us an apple or orange to make it, to survive, to have food, because there really wasn't no food in the house. And if it was a little in the house, then they would try to cook it and have it ready for when my grandmother came home from work. She always tried to keep a um, roof over their heads. Um, and for survival. So when people ask, where do we get, you know, our survival instincts from? How has that, how did that affect me personally today in 2020? Let me tell you, I don't give up. I don't fall down. I don't stop. I keep it moving one foot in front of the other because of that. Those D, that DNA track in me from, from Rosa Gant never makes me give up, never makes me stop, never makes me say, oh, what was me? I ain't gonna make it, this is too much. No, I will find a way to make it. I will find a way to get around it. I will find a way to make it work. And that's the story of our people. The story is that we went through so much with, with knees on our neck, hanging from trees, being raped, being murdered, being jailed, which is the second slavery. Because when you can go to, when you could go to jail simply from just saying something wrong that they don't like, or you could go to jail simply because they figure you can't handle your money right. That's the second slavery. That's what the KKK, that's what all these Jim Crow law, that's what they wanted to do to us. You had people in jail for stealing a piece of bread for 40 years, working on farms, working on the roads for free, working in the field, the cotton fields for free. They were farming you out to work. They would, they would do things where you had to end up working for them after you got out of jail. So you were in turn in slavery again. That's what slavery is. That's the second portion. When people are out here fighting for people to be out of jail because of false circumstances, stand with them because the false circumstances have been going on forever. 
for, for, for African-American people. So when you look at the overall story, she had to work and do what she had to do to survive. My mother and my uh, uncles were living with different families. They were in Baltimore where they had to stay with a lady who my grandmother was paying, who didn't even feed them. And the son was up there trying to abuse my uncle sexually. These are the things that were happening then. This is what drives you to, to success and failures in life. They, they didn't have a home life. They had my grandmother, but they didn't have her because she wasn't around all the time. And so they were poor, no clothing, hair not done, you know, clean, but just not enough, just enough. They had to go stay with other aunts and uncles who, I can say, my mother said the best time of her life was when she lived with her Aunt Lucille because they really, you know, put time and effort into her and, and, and watched her and helped her and taught her. So those are the things, there are some great family members, but then there's some terrible family members that won't help you. So you have to look at us now and wonder why we act this way or why there's this neighborhood and not that neighborhood and why we didn't live here where they systematically, you know, put us there. You couldn't get a mortgage. So you was always renting from somebody who, white, unless you could find black people that owned and then they had their own scheme too, you know with that thing. So life during that time was an endurance. It was a race to try to get better. The civil rights movement she lived through. World War II, you know, she worked in the factories during that time. You know, when of course all the men were at the, in, in the war. The Korean War, she was, you know, we saw that go. My uncles were in World War II. That was Uncle Arthur, he was in the war, he was in the Navy during that time. Um, he worked in the kitchen. You know what much they gonna let us do, but what they'll let us be in the kitchen. So he worked in the kitchen on the um, ships. And his, he told the story one time of, he was up there lollygagging and he actually was on a submarine. He lollygagging and the thing was ready to dive. You know, he had to get his butt back down in there. We were always laughing because he said, it's ready to dive. They yelling, yelling. And I'm sitting up there just chilling. I'm up there looking, you know, walking around and looking. So. He told his story of being on a submarine and being in, in World War II in the Navy. My uncle um, on my dad's side, Uncle Clarence, he was in the Army and he told his stories. So we were there and we saw a lot. I had a cousin in the um, Air Force in the 70s. You know, I had cousins in, um, in the Navy and the Army in the um, 90s. So our people have always fought and always been there in the midst of the wars and the midst of the times when we weren't in, in wars, they were there. So when you look at it, my grandmother's story has affected me in history as one that made me stronger and made me able to endure things now that a lot of people falter, they can't do it. But the majority of us are out, we'll find a way to make it. We're ingenious African-Americans. We will find a way to do it. And that's why she, she worked so hard. And finally, she ended up, the last job she had was as a maid was with the Leonard's in New York, Queens, Long Island, New York, I think. Um, she was a part of the Great Migration. When she went, when she left the South and went North in New York to work, you know, a lot of her nieces and her sons, and, and they all followed her to New York. So when we look timeline up here, we have family in New York, family in Baltimore, family in Philadelphia. We all made a stop somewhere. Um, my uncle Charles went there and stayed, and that is a story 
for the next episode because you need to get into the second part, which is the 50s and the 60s, 60s of my um, grandmother's life and my mother and her siblings. And a little bit about my grandmother's siblings um, and some stories. But I hope you like this episode and I hope that you will comment on it. Tell me more. Tell me what I could have done better. Tell me if I missed anything um, that you thought, thought that I did miss during that time. Um, but Rose's story to me was interesting because she told all these interwoven stories. I have more stories to tell you in this season and they may not be episodes as long as this, but I had to just give you an overview of what it was like in her life and um, how she endured and how she was able to make it and how her children um, made it. And then her grandchildren, how successful her great-grandchildren, her great-great-grandchildren, the success. And the one thing that I'll leave you with is that she always preached, preach, preach education because she couldn't have it. She read, she self-educated herself. She read all the time, but she pushed me as a child that you have to finish school. You have to go to college. You have to succeed. And I could say right now that the things that she wanted for me, I did succeed. And I think that we have to be just as hard and push our youth today for education in order to be successful. You know, you could just say that, hey, you can make the money without it, but I still think you need the experience. So again, this is LJ's Open Forum, Michelle Johnson, and I am the host. And this is episode one, season one of Rose's Story. And I just wanna say that you can, you can listen to this on Spotify, you can listen to this on anchor.fm, and you can also hear this on other platforms. Again, hashtag LJ's Open Forum Podcast on Instagram, LJ's Open Forum Podcast on Facebook, LJ's Open Forum Podcast on Twitter. And I will be seeing you really soon with episode two of Rose's Story. You guys just have a great evening. Goodbye. Thank you.